This is the Blatcast, a sometimes fast-paced but usually meandering look at the world. So kick back, get ready for quite possibly the longest one hour to perhaps the shortest two hours and 56 minutes of your life. And now, here's Christian Black. Welcome to the Blackcast. Very excited today to be diving into yet another summer blockbuster, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I am Christian Blatt, as always. Uh, returning to the show, Zach Schaefer from $2 Late Fee. Zach, thank you for being here. Oh, I'm so happy to be here to talk about one of my favorite franchises of all time. Yeah, it's uh, one of one of several favorite franchises that include Harrison Ford. You know, yeah, no let's, doubt. Let's not forget the Jack Ryan franchise. Oh yeah, obviously Star Wars, the American Graffiti franchise, and uh, you know, I guess regarding Henry didn't lend itself to becoming a franchise. But why didn't they? Why didn't they ever make a sequel to Witness? Come on. <laughs> I'm still waiting. Uh, also with us, uh, the one and only Mr. Phil Svitek, who uh, we were reminiscing before we started how just how many years uh, I've known Phil. Uh, it's uh, before my daughter was born, and she'll turn six this year. So it uh, goes yeah. back. But uh, Phil, thank you. And uh, your podcast, is it called A Phil Svitek Podcast? I, I, I think that that's the yep. branding. Okay. I uh, wanted to, because it's not the you know it's not the it's a, it's a play on like you know martin scorsese film or you know yeah. whatever so yeah nice yeah. cool That's, well i always yeah it, it's it's a, it's like uh you know we both know sam roberts a little bit from sirius xm he had sam roberts show but it wasn't apostrophe s but it's yeah. confusing because his last name had an s so look there's a lot of fun with language but uh that is not why we're here today we're here to talk about indiana jones 5 and it's interesting to think back I guess by the turn of the century, I think most of us just figured, all right, we've got those three Indiana Jones films and yeah. we're just not going to get more, you know? And I, I, I didn't have any reason to think we were going to get them. And uh, we got one in, I think it was 2008. We got Crystal Skull. And uh, I, I remember having fun in the theater while I watched it, but Crystal Skull was one of those movies that as it sat inside my Crystal Skull, I was like, oh, that was kind of stupid. <laughs> I had fun with it for the most part, though. And, you know, that that term nuke the fridge really came out of it. I'm like, I actually thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go so far as to say I'm an apologist for Crystal Skull. I just remember sitting in the theater and not hating it. However, I've never rewatched it. So oh. <laughs> so there there might be that. But uh, let's uh, let's put our cards on the table and I'll ask you first, Zach. Where were you at coming into this movie in terms of the four previous Indiana Jones movies? very interesting um my son turned nine this year and as as these as your kids get older they start becoming a little less sensitive to shocking scenes in movies and my son loves the marvel universe and sure. we started toe dipping into raiders way back when maybe when he was six or seven and it was a little too intense at the time uh, about a year ago we watched uh so we watched raiders we didn't watch uh temple and then we watched Last Crusade. 
And as a kid's movie, I wouldn't call Last Crusade a kid's movie. I feel like it's a teen and adult movie, uh, subject yeah. matter wise, especially when the father and grandfather and father and son are both uh, dating, quote unquote, dating the same woman. Um, <laughs> and so and we found that one to be, to be a little slow. We, he was excited to see the new one, and I took him to the theater to see it. And prior to it, I thought I, I said, we should watch the fourth one just to catch up. Yeah, sure. We kind of loved it from a kid's perspective. We kind of loved it. And I'm going to okay. say, you know, it's got flaws, as, as I kind of think the third one does, too. Um, yeah. And then we never watched the second one. We watched Temple. And I think Temple might be my favorite Indiana Jones movie of all time, at least in name. You know, maybe so starting you're Temple Raiders, of Doom is your favorite. I think Temple of Doom is my favorite. And then we watched the the new one in the theater. And my God, I, I, we were captivated for the entire time. He didn't once feel bored or, or lost. He was totally in it. Uh, I was, too. We both loved it. And I can't wait to watch it again. Yeah, I think it's interesting because the perspective of watching a film with a child is you don't know. And uh, this goes back like two years. My son was really interested in the Jungle Book. Nope, Jungle Cruise movie. And uh, anybody who saw it, it's not great. That's not the point, though. Yeah. <laughs> he, was, uh, <laughs> he was excited because he's interested in traveling. And this was like, you know, we were still right in the middle of the pandemic, really. And, you know, he, he discovered maps in the world and he wanted to see everything. And we're like, great, you can't leave Burbank. Uh, in fact, you kind of like staying in like a three block radius for about a year. So right. anyway, <laughs> um, he loved the idea of that. And then seeing that movie, I'm like, all right, well, he was able to handle like face melting that it's not as intense as Raiders, but the VFX are more convincing. Yeah. So that really opened it up to like, all right, you told me you're too scared for Star Wars. Well, you're seeing Star Wars now. You know what I mean? Right. So it, um, and I asked him if he wanted to see this Indiana Jones movie because he's interested in it. But it's kind of like the way that I look at things uh, even now. He's like, he wants to see the other ones first. Yeah. <laughs> so I think so we're going to see Raiders at some point. And I, 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 I was going to, I was going to skip Temple of Doom uh, because uh, you know, you're talking about rate, uh, sorry, last crusade being a PG, you know, like basically being a 13 year old movie, yeah. but Temple of Doom was like one of the first two actually PG 13 rated movies. I think Dune and Temple of Doom were the first two. It's like, they almost invented the rating for those two movies. I know that's not actually the case, but it felt like it. And um, I am not here to slam Temple of Doom, but it was never my favorite. It was always the distant third when there were only three. That's well, interesting, really, really quickly. And I think Red yeah. Dawn was a part of that PG-13 phase as right. well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, but but Temple of Doom... Me, yeah, me, I, me trying to drop facts on the guy who does the 80s podcast. All sorry, right, yeah. I'm just going <laughs> to no. call it out. I, I will say I we, watched, we watched Temple of Doom. Uh, it's the first time I've seen Temple of Doom in 20 years. And I think having short round as a kid uh, and uh, and protagonist in there to sidekick to help out Indy was really appealing to my son. Um, It wasn't as terrifying as I expected it would be. It was actually tamer than I thought that I remembered it to be. So based on based on stuff that comes out now, you know, uh, definitely tamer than Endgame or any Avengers type film. So. I yeah, think it's a great point. And let, let me ask Phil, Phil, at what point, how old were you when you saw someone reach into someone's chest, pull their heart out in Temple of Doom? So that's a good question. I mean, I grew up more so on Last Crusade um, yeah. and then kind of revisited um, Raiders was next and then Temple of Doom. I think that was like a lot later. Um, and for me, like, honestly, like 
Crystal Skull was the first Indiana Jones in a theater. Sure. And they actually filmed around New Haven at Yale University for, you know, the motorcycle chase stuff. And, you know, so like at the time, like I was, you know, exiting high school, going to college. And so I was excited of like, oh, wow, you know, like this, there, there was a connection there for me of like, oh, the, the film industry is exciting. Not only that, but it's also like in my own backyard. So there's like a, you know, cool stuff happening. So I was really excited to see it. And uh, Christian, you and I share a love of South Park. It really it's did true. feel like that like South Park episode where they, they, they made a whole parody where essentially Spielberg and uh, Lucas are essentially raping Harrison Ford. Like that's what Oh my gosh. Like. <laughs> it's uh, true. That, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. There's a, you can get away with a lot when you do animation. And, true. Uh, yeah. I, wow. Uh, and, and, and Trey and Matt have uh, some very harsh opinions on the, the, the prequel trilogy that uh, I don't necessarily agree with, but I can certainly find the humor in it. And yeah, yeah it's a, uh, it's very interesting. So you felt like that's what they did to with the Crystal legacy Skull. of Indiana, with Crystal yeah. Skull. Yeah. yeah. That was Skull. what they did. Let's just say to the legacy of the character. Her, yeah. Harrison Ford was just there for a check, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I did, uh, I did revisit the uh, Crystal Skull um, just in anticipation of this, and is as bad as I remember it. No, but it's definitely not like great for me, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can understand that, and uh, I think it's it's interesting, the, you know, just how much that film features Shia LaBeouf, and sometimes you see a movie, and it's so much from the era it was made in, even if it's not set in that time. Like when you think of the cast of Toy Story when it started, it's like, oh, yeah, these are all some of like the biggest names in the early 90s. I'm not talking about uh, Tom Hanks, but, you know, like Tim Allen and you go through the list and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. These, and great gig for all of them that they've continued yeah. to be able to do those voices. And that was just that was Shia LaBeouf's moment in time where it was like, well, he's the obvious choice for this. And, you know, I, I think the results were mixed. And I wonder if everybody walked away from Crystal Skull feeling like, well, we really, we really stuck the landing. We really did this. If we would have ever gotten another one, would they have spun off the character of Mutt, you know, in his own movie? I don't know. Maybe that was a plan somewhere. But I think everybody felt like, you know, let's take another crack at giving a proper farewell to uh, Henry Jones, Indiana Jones. And uh, yeah, so we'll we'll dive into the movie itself. But uh, comment from the chat, Dominicus Saxon, he's ranking the movies, which is something that I said that I would do during this show. So he goes, uh, Last Crusade, Raiders, Temple of Doom, Dial of Destiny, and then Crystal Skull. But two and five are about tied. Well, my hot take is, and I'm not discounting Temple of Doom entirely, but... Uh, I, I have, uh, I, I, I think Raiders for me is the best. A lot of times it's hard to say that the first in the series isn't the best. It's certainly the case sometimes. Uh, Mission Impossible would be a good example of that. But uh, I, so yeah, I like, I like Raiders, Last Crusade. And I actually put the new one, it's like I flipped it. It's, it's like really close with Temple of Doom. And just again, Crystal Skull is a, a distant one. I'm not going to make you guys rank. If, you, if you're inclined to, you're welcome to, but uh it's a game that we play sometimes and uh, I'll let people in on a little secret. When I do my rankings of the star Wars movies, I always put the last Jedi so low because I want to make people mad. I, I, you know, I don't actually think it's, it's worse than the Christmas special and the two Ewok TV movies, but it sure is funny to have people react to it when I post it on Twitter. Anyway, well, I, I will, I will interject really quickly, Please. quickly and just say that, you know, I, 
I love my, my motto is dig what you dig. If you like it, totally. that's all that matters. And I think you guys share the same uh, mentality, you know, and, and there are some people out there that absolutely love crystal skull and that's great. My son is included in that. Do I feel it's that great? No, but it's fun. And I get his perspective. I love temple of doom. I think I love temple of doom more now simply because of short round and it has nothing to do with the actors where they are currently. It's, it's simply like, man, it was so fun to see a kid in that kicking butt, you know? Yeah. And, and so, and maybe being a parent, I have a skewed opinion. You too, Christian. I think it might be the same deal. Uh, you see it through a kid's eyes. It's one way. But then as a personal perspective, when I look at Raiders and I go, man, but Raiders was, a, I have so much fondness for it, you know? And Last Crusade, I just don't feel the same uh, love of Last Crusade that a lot of other people do. But that's totally cool. If that's at the top of your list, go for it. Dial of Destiny, I, I would put smack dab in the middle. I Actually, I would put it a, a, above three. But that's just my personal opinion. Yeah, but it's the same thing. I'm like, oh, I like it more than Temple of Doom. And it's, uh, you know, there aren't really wrong answers. I, if if no. somebody is like, oh, Crystal Skull is my favorite by a lot, I'm like, why don't you tell me why? I would love to know how you got that much more enjoyment out of it. Fair. And it wouldn't be a debate. It would just be like, oh, I want to hear it. Especially like when somebody, when there's a movie I don't like and somebody does, uh, I'm like, what did you, and, and sometimes it comes off accusatory, but I'm like, what did you see in it that maybe I didn't, that, did I miss something? And uh, That's a, a very movie. healthy way to ask that question. Yeah, it's not great for social media or podcasting, though. So no. usually it's like, what are you, stupid? Uh, I did. I, I, I talked about this recently. I did rage tweet from my seat after I saw that movie, Don't Worry, Darling. I was very emotional because I was so angry at that movie. And I did say that any, I, I would think that anybody who told me they liked it, uh, I, I would think that they must be stupid. And then people told me they liked it. I'm like, ah, that's just what I said in the moment. I didn't really, I don't really think you're stupid, but, you know. Maybe bad taste in film. Anyway, Phil, I want to uh, turn to you right now and uh, talk about uh, just sort of your your thoughts as you watched uh, Dial of Destiny and uh, as, as you know as you watched the story unfold and everything. Yeah, I mean, obviously a big swing to open up the movie in such a large way with the de aging because um, if it doesn't work, you know, you're not in it. Uh, for me, it worked a lot. You know, um, I felt like I was watching. Harrison Ford, a younger version, you know, back in the Nazi days. And, uh, you know, it felt like a great set piece. And I know people have their think pieces about, you know, is it exactly like a Steven Spielberg sort of action scene? Fine, whatever, probably not. But at the same time, I was engaged, you know? And so that put me right there in it. And yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I understand it's a lengthier Indiana Jones movie, but I don't know, just, just my eyes glued to the screen. I was having a ton of fun and I was like, I, I don't necessarily need this to end. You know, if it went on for another hour, fine. So. Yeah, and, and a credit to James Mangold, by the way, who has made some great films that I really enjoyed, uh, most notably Logan. But I think that, yeah. uh, you know, somebody else coming in and, and taking over the reins or taking over the whip, as it were, uh, you know, that's a pretty tall order. Not everybody would... Uh, would jump at that opportunity, but I, I think he did a great job. And yeah, I think that, you know, having these great openings, you know, I mean, the James Bond franchise is, is sort of wrote the book on it. It's like, well, let's kind of put you in a situation that we didn't lead up to it, but let's just see them get out of a mess that may or may not tie into the movie in general. In this case it did. And, you know, the, I, I referenced Mission Impossible earlier. They always start off with something that's like, 
do you do you really care what's going on? Let's just watch Ethan Hunt get out of some shit right now. Okay. <laughs> let's yeah, let's just see it happen. And this was great. I love that sequence. The de-aging, I think, was done in a very smart way. And not to uh not to beat up on Martin Scorsese, but uh the de-aging in the Irishman, the mistake there was using much older actors and having them move in a way that they moved as old men. So the younger versions didn't look quite right. Not every time, but there's a few moments that really stand out. Yeah. Also, de-aging technology, so much better every year, every time anybody uses it. You know, getting these, uh, you know, these like CGI characters. I mean, if you think about when we saw in Rogue One, the CGI creation of Grand Moff Tarkin, Peter Cushing, mm-hmm. it was very jarring because he'd been dead for so long, but yeah. it, actually, it, it actually looked pretty good, you know? And I think that they did a good job in terms of everything really, you know, presenting the, the de-aging uh, and all of that. Uh, someone who is just ageless uh, for all time though, of course, is our friend, Eric Nagel, uh, E-Rock himself, Eric of It's Eric Nagel. Thank you for joining us here on the Blackcast to talk Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Thank you for that ham-handed in- intro to your show. <laughs> these these hands are dripping with ham as always. They are. And, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, we're, uh, just sort of uh, talking big picture of the movie right now. We're, you know, it's a black cast show. So the fact that we're 17 minutes in means we barely got warmed up. You know, this is still the pre. Much like a lot of my shows. Yes. A lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of vamping. And then, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, here's the point, And we got to go. Bye. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll share with uh, Zach and Phil uh, who, by the way, this is Eric. Uh, hey, I, I, I once did a show that uh, Eric was doing with Brian Johnson of uh, Tell Him Steve <laughs> Dave. And uh, he's like, oh, we're going to talk about David Letterman. Can you come on? And we did an hour and a half. And he's like, yeah, so we didn't get to David Letterman. Uh, uh, do you want to come back next week? And I'm like, sure. And we did eventually get to David Letterman the next week. But even still, it was still like another half hour. In the, the industry, show. it's called a two-parter. Yeah, that's what exactly. Yeah, but, you know, we've been wanting more. Um, in any case, uh, so uh, Zach, I wanted to kind of get your big pictures of uh, this movie itself, and uh, we'll go from there. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna concur with Phil about the de aging process. I thought I was I was blown away. It slightly took me out when when Harrison Ford first opened his mouth and he sounded like an 83 old man. Um, but then. <laughs> He was back into sounding a lot better. He must have cleared his throat or something because he was back to normal. Loved it. Uh, I always compare de-aging to uh, Tron Legacy. And I'm like, if anybody can do it better than Tron Legacy, then that's great in my book. I'm kind of joking, but I'm kind of not because I love Tron Legacy, but that de-aging is terrible in that. So It's not great. Um, yeah, 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 It's not great at all. So that's my yeah. bar I set. I'm like, anybody do it better than that? It's fine with me. Um yeah, it was so just overall thought of the film, the best villain I think I've seen in a long time, the most compelling. And it shows how important it is to have such a quality actor. It's not taking away from any of the villains from previous films because I think they were all equally good. But Mads Milkinson, Mick Mickelson, or I forget how Mickelson, you say his last yeah. name. Yeah, he's such a he's such a powerful presence on screen. Um, even when he gets hit by a bar on a train and you're like, oh, he, he's got a little scar on his head. That's pretty impressive. Uh, <laughs> must have a head of stone. He's like Ronnie Garvin with his head. That's a wrestling. I mean, he's a, he's a Nazi, you know, so, you know, <laughs> yeah, they have but, hard heads. Yeah. To, to the credit of him. I mean, you know, he played Hannibal Lecter for three years, uh, on the right? TV series. 
and you didn't make you forget about Anthony Hopkins or Brian Cox, by the way, who originally. That's my personal favorite Manhunter. from Manhunter. Uh, yeah. Wow. We'll do a whole show on that, by the way. <laughs> no, I'm happy to I join you. I on that thread. I would love to talk about Manhunter, but we'll talk about this. And, you know, it, it's like to come on and take a role of Hannibal Lecter on television and, and be in the conversation of like, okay, he's still, he's also great in a completely different way, you right. know? And uh, I, I, I've rarely seen him and thought like, okay, well, he didn't work. I think he, as as an ultimate villain, this was the perfect role for him. What did you think, Eric, about Mads Mikkelsen, but then the movie as a whole? I thought it was great. It goes back to um, 80s and uh, before that, the, the, the quintessential, almost maybe typical back then, um, very stern, silent villain type where he says less does more. And then he's not sitting there and like a bond villain, like, let me tell you the plot while you're trying to figure out how to escape and all that. Right. He tells the plot to his henchmen, to other people who might have to be involved for some reason, but he's never telling Indiana Jones exactly what he's doing until it's that moment. Um, they, they, that's missing a lot in a lot of today's movies. Cause they tend to, uh, what's the term telegraph at the beginning? It's like, Oh, okay. This is where yeah. the whole outline of the movie's going, or if they right. revealed it all in the trailer, because people need to know exactly what the movie is before they even go to see what the movie is. Um, you didn't know, like, like you mentioned him getting hit in the head um, by the um, whatever the thing was over the train. You're like, all right, he's done. You didn't expect him to be as prevalent in the, in, in the rest of the movie as he was at the beginning there. That I, I like that a lot. Like they they stuck to what movie making was for the villain role. Like he was there when he needed to be. His presence was felt when he wasn't there, and they kept him out of the story until it was necessary. So he wasn't just constantly overshadowing everything by physically being there. Just what else was going on in the story unraveling yeah. um, was all that was needed. The, the, he was the perfect choice for this because I mean, who can play that kind of? Uh, Welcome to Sprockets kind of uh, Nazi kind of person nowadays. And you were thinking, Mads Mikkelsen. And then you go, wow, he really pulled it off. I don't know anybody that's as sinister, uh, that can pull off the role that's as sinister and, and almost slimy in a way, yeah. uh, the way that villain was. But being calm, cool, collected, and and staying towards uh, the material, staying towards uh, being true to the character without getting very comic booky or candid or something like that. I, I liked it a lot. I liked his part in there a lot yeah i mean it's uh not every actor comes off as evil before they even open their mouth you know it doesn't matter how they're dressed it doesn't matter what they say and uh yeah i know what you're saying that so many movies you feel telegraphed of like oh this is going to be important later it's uh the example i always use is uh you know obviously the the formula for law and order has worked very well for the past 30 years but uh you're like oh wow recognized name actor yeah, I don't know nothing about nothing. Oh, okay, let's move on. No, I'm yeah. sure if that actor is going to show up again in the second half of the show, <laughs> in, the, in the courtroom portion of it. Uh, Phil, let's talk a little bit about Mads Mikkelsen, and then we'll move on to talk about some of the rest of the cast. Uh, but uh, your thoughts on our our villain and uh, how you know he yeah. and Harrison Ford play off each other, de-aged and present day. Yeah, I mean, I, I, like you guys, I thought he was wonderful. Um, you know it. I mean, he, he just plays a great villain. I'm even thinking about like Fantastic Beast three, right? He stepped into that villain oh, role, right? Yeah, um, that's right. And so he's just, yeah, he's got this gruff about him. Like, I mean, he's kind of like a man's man, you know, which like is counter to Indy, right? Because he's also a man's man. 
Um, so the two of them, uh, you know, and he's a lot more cerebral. I think that's what kind of you guys are hinting at is rather than have to tell you everything, he's just, you can see his gears working and you're like, I don't necessarily know what he's planning, but something's in there. Um, and so I thought the economy of, of his dialogue was really well done. And, you know, he's doing a lot of, as they say in acting, I guess, a lot of business on the camera, you know, <laughs> yeah. to convey that. So, yeah. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's uh, move on to uh, I guess what is the 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 role, the character that, uh, of course, uh, Twitter is uh, the quickest to jump on uh, in in any kind of film, which is uh, younger uh, female lead uh, Helena, uh, of course, uh, played by uh, Phoebe Waller Bridge, and uh, you know I think that it is uh, you know it, it's it's tough to have those characters and have them work. All you need to really do, and yes, it was a male character, but look back to Crystal Skull and like, and here's Shia LaBeouf, you know, the future of Indiana Jones. Well, no, not really, but you know, nice try. And I think that uh, this character worked well because of, you know, she, she had the background, she had the knowledge, we understood why she was there and uh, their dynamic was funny. And fortunately there, uh, the, this was like his goddaughter. So there, there wasn't, uh, you know, 80-year-old Harrison Ford and, I don't know, early 30s actress where we're dealing with weird chemistry. You know, that immediately gets thrown out the window, which I think helped, in all honesty, because sometimes yeah. in movies you're like, what are we supposed to be feeling between these two right now? I don't know. But um, let me uh, circle back on that with you, Phil. Talk a little bit about Phoebe Waller-Bridge in this movie. Yeah, I, like you said, I, I really enjoyed it for those specific reasons. Um, I was with somebody, like um, I was kind of like at an advanced screening, um, and I went with a friend, and she was like, you know what? I'm glad that they didn't sexualize her because you can even look at like Alicia Vikander's Tomb Raider, and I'm not saying Phoebe sure. Waller-Bridge isn't a, a gorgeous woman, but they didn't lean in on that. You know, she had her intelligence, she had her wit, and stuff like that, and she really was essentially just a younger version of Indy, right? And that's why they kind of clashed heads. Um, they had different ideologies. I mean, he's always been about it belongs in a museum, right? And that's kind of a running joke in this movie where she wants to steal it. Um, and so, you know, it felt like, it felt like a family, right? She's his goddaughter, but for all intents and purposes, she could have very easily been his daughter and they're just butting heads, right? And so, you know, going off of Crystal Skull, like I enjoyed this relationship far more than I did with Mutt. R.I.P. to uh, Mutt. <laughs> yeah. Are we I spoiling, by the way? Uh, yes, we can talk all spoilers about this movie. Uh, you know, we're like halfway. Well, not, I, don't, I know how long. Otherwise, oopsies. No, no, no. We're <laughs> 25 minutes in. And uh, yes, we're, we're spoiling everything. Also, uh, Eric, I know you'll appreciate that uh, Mutt that Mutt's is dead. character. Oh well, well, no, well, that too. But <laughs> Mutt is uh, being credited as having been given the Poochie treatment in that he was. Killed oh yeah, off camera. that's exactly what I thought. In the th oh, thank you for making that reference. Uh, that's exactly what I thought is because they didn't really get to it until later about what, what happened with the character or why he wasn't involved with all this stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, I did feel it was the Poochie treatment. But I also, if you don't know what the Poochie treatment is, it's a reference from The Simpsons where they created a third character for their itchy and scratchy show. People didn't like it. And, and oh, then no, they Roy, just, sorry. yeah, and then they just did, uh, no, everyone liked Roy. Um, yeah. th then they just like, oh, yeah, he died on his way back to his home planet and they didn't animate it. They just took the animation cell and went off the background doo, 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 like that oh, into yeah. the screen. And it's like he just died on the way back to his home planet. And then it that's said right. the end. And then the audience went crazy, like, yes, that's fantastic. 
Um, <clears throat> the shout thing- out to Poochie, by the way, he was a oh, real one. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, look at him. Look at that character. He's loud and extreme. He's in your face. Um, you can tell by the backwards hat. Anyway, sir. Well, that's fine. I felt like it was important to explain the, the Pucci phenomenon to people who might not know. And uh, and uh, yeah. And if you ahead. want to take it a step further, Simpsons predicted it. Like, you know, they came up with this and then, wow, they did it for Indiana Jones. The Simpsons predicted that that's what was going to happen to Mutt. Um, I do want to bring one quick thing up with, with Mutt. Isn't it interesting that I guess technically in this world, the character could have still existed had Shia LaBeouf not played that character. If it was any other actor, they may have done something with it yes. and continued it on that. This actor was not just not really bad in the role, but just him in general, his life is his connection with Hollywood was so bad that they go, we're just getting rid of this character altogether. Yeah. Like the actor ruined the character, not yeah. he did a bad performance or the audience didn't really like his interpretation of the character. The actor himself, his real life killed the imaginary character, uh, character that he portrayed. So when they didn't bring him back, I was like, wow, he was that powerful and that terrible that they just said the character doesn't exist anymore. We're going to kill it off without <laughs> any real reason. Yes, That's uh, almost uh, TV it, it, level bad of writing it off. Chuck goes upstairs. It, you never see him again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Chuck. Yeah, I think that uh, that phenomenon will one day uh, be known as Ezra Millering, you know, that, that uh, a, a specific actor tied to a character uh, basically brings down an entire movie studio. But it didn't but, uh, kill the character off. Yeah, Ezra Miller will be replaced or rebooted or oh, sorry, uh, rebooted when um, James Gunn does his DCU stuff. That's true. Yeah. And then there's the TV version. Like there's always going to be other ver- the characters never not going to be back. That's he fair. killed yeah. the character. And Shia LaBeouf <laughs> is still here, but the yeah. character is gone forever. Mutt, Mutt Jones has passed on. You're absolutely right. He's and, not uh, coming back. No. Yeah. And I, and I think it's something that you needed to do, you know, like uh, when we're talking about movie franchises and, uh, you know, we're obviously uh, focused on, you know, the Indiana Jones here. But for me, why Die Hard with a Vengeance was so much better than the second one, which I don't want to get into a debate with Zach because I feel like that's probably happened on your show. But no, I, I uh, agree with you. I agree with you. One, it was a script that existed and they were like, great, let's take this great script and turn it into a diehard movie. Yeah. And also though, they were like, oh yeah, uh, so John McClane's on the outs with his wife. We're not going to see her. He doesn't really talk to his kids right now. Let's have him go on this adventure. And I think for him to be isolated Henry Jones, Indiana Jones, uh, when this movie starts, I think is very smart because of the way that that last one ended. Uh, But it's, I I think it's the same as the passage in real time, right? It's like 15 years since that movie, it's 1969. So about the same. So I think it was important to just have him detached from maybe what our expectation was, you know, he, Marion and Mutt, you know, out in the suburbs somewhere, you know, uh, going to the malt shop or whatever, whatever they were doing in the fifties. So I think it was really important to kind of give us this iteration of him. And my understanding is that Harrison Ford thought it was very important to show him warts and all. I don't know that I needed to see him with his shirt off, but boy, did it have the impact that they intended. Hang on, speak for yourself here. You know, there's plenty of other people that may disagree with you. I was happy to see that too. I was was glorious. I was like, damn, I want to look like that when I'm 83. 
I didn't have. I, I'd like to look like that when I'm 47. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have a problem with the shirt off. I, I I don't know if anyone else had this problem. It's like, didn't it just feel out of place for him being in New York? Like anybody else in their career, sometimes when they progress to see them finally at, at, at an older stage where they're in New York or L.A., for most industries, like, okay, they're at the pinnacle of, of their career. For him, yeah. it didn't make sense unless he was working for, like, the Museum of Natural History or something like that. Yeah. It made no sense for him working at some kind of dinky college in New York City. He could have just stayed at the university in Indiana, still being separated from his family or whatever else was going on, but still tied to that part of the franchise that was funding all his expeditions and their museum and all. Like, it didn't seem like he was tied to anything from the past anymore. It just was weird to put him there. Like, oh, here he is in 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 generated New York City, and it's just like, why is he in the city? He's not a city guy like that. Yeah, I, I think that it, it it does raise the question of yeah, why is he there? And uh, I think it's really just a storytelling trick because they're like, we want to have the sequence and in New York running through Times Square on a horse. Someone so. thought, yeah, someone thought like, what, what if he rode a horse on the subway? Great. Let's build a quarter of the movie around this thing here. And you go really for the sight um, gag. I mean, and it was, it, it was a fun sequence. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. And if he was in Indiana, like wh what is he going to be running through? What is he going to be I, around? I, it was an interesting sequence. I mean, I did yeah. enjoy it. It just, it felt like why New York though? He didn't yeah. need to be there. What, what do you think about that, Phil, sort of making a, uh, a storytelling choice for the character that maybe didn't make sense? I, I don't think it, 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 it derailed it. It took away. But uh, when you're like, we have, but we really want him to be in New York. <laughs> I mean, I don't even think that that's necessarily what it was. But what do yeah. you think about this idea that he's ended up in New York? I didn't question it. I mean, I, I yeah, I mean, I, I was just there <clears throat> for the ride in that sense. And I mean, so much has like it felt like a world that was lived in and so you know i trusted that like whatever happened between crystal skull and now happened right and so it's hinted at between the divorce uh dying and stuff like that that it's like oh he's just living in new york you know um and you know as you age like it's it's one of those counterintuitive things because my mom's a nurse she talks about this a lot you know you want to get away from the city but as you age, you have more health issues. So you kind of need to stay in the city for the medical oh, care. Okay. So you know what? Maybe that was his consideration as he's you know what? getting up there. To tie onto that. All right. Didn't think of that. But also, it just dawned on me. How many times in the first three movies when he had to fly to some somewhere, they show the map and then the plane dots? It's always going through New York. So maybe he was just tired of connecting in New York. And he said, like, I'll just start <laughs> from New York and go to Monaco. That you damn know, layover. Direct flights. <laughs> It makes it so easy. Yeah. <laughs> does, you know what? yeah. Some, so, sometimes that's that's really what it comes down to, you know. You, Convenience, you, yeah. Uh, Eric, I'm sure you've heard, you know, you've heard uh, comedians who relocate to a city basically because it's like, well, there's all these reasons and it's a hub of an airline. Yeah. <laughs> so that yeah. when you do gigs, it's it, it's a, it's still a little easier. Uh, what are you thinking, Zach, as we kind of talk about all this stuff? You know, the well, background of the character, the sequence in New York, any of this really? Eric brought up the uh, the subway <clears throat> the subway horse scene that I did. <laughs> um, I, I I I sorry, but I was immediately brought back to an '80s movie called Quiet Cool, starring James Remar, who played Ajax in the Warriors, uh, and Nick Cassavetes is in that you, as well. You, you, lo you lost me until you said Warriors, because I of course know that movie. Uh, what is the name of the movie again? Quiet. It's cool? called Quiet Cool. 
and okay. uh, it, 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 there's a great sequence where uh, James Remar is on a BMX motorcycle and he chases a guy on roller skates through the New York subway and they go through <laughs> the subway train on the motorcycle. Uh, the movie is, it deals with uh, pot dealers on the West coast. It's a pretty wild film. I highly recommend it. Uh, but it brought me back to that scene. I'm like, whoa, this is just like quiet, cool. And everyone in the theater looked at me like, what the hell is wrong with you? No, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah. and I think I, I think if uh, somebody had given that note to James Mangold or Harrison Ford, they'd be like, what? Uh, and by the way, uh, for our visual audience, uh, here's yes. uh, this. It's so funny. Sometimes uh, something looks like the one sheet, the movie poster. And then other times you're like, oh, this is clearly the VHS box. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. totally. It was the artwork that was available. Because yeah. it's always that a lot of those movies from the 80s always have the photoshopped hand holding the gun that's not the actor holding the yeah. gun and it's the wrong way like is he holding it like this against his face like it doesn't make any sense i love it and i love the blurb non-stop action from the makers of a nightmare on elm street and mortal kombat but <laughs> clearly not the directors of either of those films and know. the star of mortal kombat part two uh no oh. it's a clear that probably got released in the 90s um I was going to shout out one other quick little 80s movie yeah, that is a ripoff of Indiana Jones. It's called Treasure of the Four Crowns. If you've never seen Treasure of the Four Crowns, it's in 3D. And in fact, you can get a Blu-ray with the 3D glasses. And um, it, it is, it is, in my opinion, one of the best ripoffs of Indiana Jones. And that the, the, there's a 20-minute sequence where there's no dialogue. It's just him going into to uh, get this special scepter or this little key and he's having to fight off, uh, you know, owls and, and vultures and uh, uh, pterodactyls <clears throat> on strings with light so eyes. So you're saying it's better than Alan Quartermain? It is better than Alan Quartermain. All right. Down. Hot take from Zach here. <laughs> Hands down. Treasure of the Four Crowns. Go look it up. Ennio Morricone did the soundtrack for it as well. Um, oh, but I mean, but I, yeah, I, something I, about that, you know, this. If I wasn't convinced now. I would just want to hear the soundtrack, of course. It's I'm pretty sorry, wild. Ahead. Pretty well. So Eric and Phil both hit on something that I that I think is important. I think they both did. Um, this film, the dynamics with the female protagonist and Indy mm. felt different than any other film in the franchise, where there wasn't this romantic link. And I think going back to my my uh, my kind of take on it being more kid friendly. This, you know, my son is like he's nine. It's like, how much romance is in this movie? Like, is it a lot? Is there a little bit? Like, it depends, you know? This movie felt so tame as far as the romance was concerned. And I think that kind of appeals to a younger audience because, you know, a lot of kids oftentimes put their hands over their face. Oh, I don't want to see the kissing. Um, but the level of violence was still there. You know, the kills were sure. still there. The, the, the intensity was still there. It just, I kind of liked it being less about this romantic subplot that so often his movies have. And just sticking to the adventure and the story, um, that was great. And then the the you know the tail end of the movie with with Marion, like that was really sweet, and I thought it was done well. But it wasn't drawn out too long. Yeah. And there was a nostalgic nod to the first one. Um, I found that super appealing overall. I think it's it, and it was nice to see the kind of family dynamic. Uh, it wasn't like this didn't feel like it was going to pass the torch to a new era of indie films this felt like a nice bookend like this is it this no, is cool i'm cool it, with that. this is this is the tribe has spoken moment in survivor where they extinguish the torch you <laughs> yeah, know and it's, it's like yeah we saw that what were you gonna say eric 
no, it, it's interesting what he said. It's like it doesn't feel like this is the passing of the torch or the next stage of whatever Indiana Jones is going to be. Sorry, my mic's shorting a little bit. Um, but before the movie was even out, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge was saying that she like was hinting at it's like, no, I, I, I really hope they do a spinoff of my character. And so and you go, I don't even know what the character is yet. Why is she saying, why isn't it spinning off uh, for me? Like, you can look it up. It's uh, on uh, several different websites. No, I mean, it would make sense. And and also, I mean, sometimes actors say that so that, uh, you know, hopefully no, I, that there's a demand, you know. I know that's a, more of a modern day technique, which yeah. sometimes works. A lot of times it doesn't. But when you're going into a franchise that a lot of people are skeptical of already because they don't know at least at the time when she made the comment, people hadn't seen the movie yet and you're seeing some of the trailer and you're like, all right, you don't know if she's a villain, but she's belittling him a lot. And a lot of people weren't into that. Oh, he's the old codger that doesn't know anything or how to do anything anymore. And I think a lot of people were starting to get reserved going into it. Like you were, you were already changing people's minds who were pretty much open to go see this. It's like, wait, why is she getting why is she saying that i need to be spun off why is this going on here what what are they doing to him you know you start thinking yeah. the south park clip where they're watching uh crystal skull and they're scre- you know you <laughs> just see lucas and spielberg pinning him down and everyone in the yeah. theater screaming and yelling yeah. and and and, uh, and and now uh, Eric came in a little late. Uh, now Zach is the only one who hasn't referenced it. I'm so the only one who hasn't seen it. Yeah, <laughs> Eric had a much more no. PG way of describing it, though. Yeah, yeah. I was getting <laughs> raped at the time. <laughs> by Steven Spielberg. Well, to uh, to peel back to uh, childhood innocence from that, I love what you were saying, Zach. That the, I have this vision now that your son is Fred Savage in the beginning of Princess Bride you know, telling Peter Falk, wait, this isn't a kissing book, is it? Dude. So he's like, he's like, dad, this isn't a kissing movie, is it? <laughs> I, so I kid you not, we were watching Princess Bride last year for the first time. And, and, and there's a scene where right before Fred Savage drops that line, my son goes, is this a kissing movie? And then <laughs> like without missing a beat. And I looked at him and go, have you seen this before? Did you watch it without me <laughs> or something? Straight up. But he used to, by the way, he used to call uh, in the last Starfighter from the 80s. Uh, there's a scene at the end of the movie where the, the two main characters, they kiss each other. Right. Um, sure. Catherine Mary, Catherine Mary Stewart and uh, Spoiler. sorry. And <laughs> uh, after he saves the world and, and, oh. the ki- and the little brother, the little brother looks at this and go- sees them kissing, goes, ah, oh, diarrhea, Lance Gaston, Catherine Mary Stewart. And uh and so ever since we watched that movie, every time someone would kiss on screen, my son goes, oh, diarrhea. So he would say to me, he's like, how much diarrhea is in this movie before it turned into romance? And I go, there's so much diarrhea in this film. There's diarrhea everywhere. Oh, I, I, I laugh because butter. my son doesn't do that, but I can see he's he's about to turn eight in like a week and a half. And I'm like, oh, I can see that actually being the logical progression because it's of coming. The, you know, but if there were to be a lot of actual diarrhea in a movie, he'd be like, well, that sounds funny to me. So uh, <laughs> but anyway, diarrhea notwithstanding, uh, let's uh, let's go kind of through the the story. And I do love that we get the benchmarks. I, I, I you know, I, one of the things that I think my son will love when he finally gets around to watching these is watching the, the little dots on the map and traveling around. Yeah. And, you know, starting from New York so he doesn't have to get the connecting flight. Um, Phil, <laughs> as as we examine the story, uh, I personally feel like they do such a great job in the first two acts. 
I start to have a problem with the big event that we'll we'll talk about, you know, sort of what the movie's building towards. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't ruin the movie for me. I still enjoyed it. I still had a lot of fun. Uh, but what, what are you thinking about sort of the the way that they tell this story? You know, the the fact that the the dial of destiny gets stolen and having to go to Morocco and have some crazy adventures. You know, all that, Phil. Yeah, I mean, some people are like, uh, I know they're complaining that they didn't exactly know what the the dial technically did, but I never had an issue with it. I I kind of guessed, I mean, just based off of the title, based off of what they were saying, you know, I kind of inferred it. And yeah, I mean, it's it's the classic MacGuffin of like, all right, we got to get these pieces. And, um, you know, it was a little bit of fetch questy, but that's what made it fun for me of just them trying to figure it out along the way of how do we get all these pieces together or prevent, you know, Mads Mikkelsen from, from doing so. Right. And yeah, I, I like the, um, the chase sequence. Um, I don't know. I had, I had a fun with it, you know? Um, and, and especially like the, the comedic elements of, uh, what was her, her fiance, like chasing after them as well. Um, yeah, it was silly, but oh, yeah. I, I enjoyed it. It was just a character moment. Right. And it added something to the scene. So I enjoyed it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in, you know, taking the blueprint of short round, we got the, the addition of Teddy that I, I feel like, for people that are seeing this movie with their kid, it's great for them to immediately have somebody to identify with, you know, like, you know, he seems like he's a little older than short round, but that's not really the point. There's like, all right, there's somebody who's closer to my age. And that's how I would feel if all this crazy stuff was going on around me, you know? And uh, yeah, I mean the, the chase, the race, you know, a lot of those elements are, are definitely a lot of fun and it's what you look for from an Indiana Jones movie or an action movie in general. Uh, how did you feel that played out, Eric? One of the chase scenes, look, it didn't take me out of, like, I enjoyed the chase scenes, but I kept sitting there and going, that little scooter that's pulling the three of them is not outrunning that German tank <laughs> monster Rolls Royce, whatever car they had there, through these little uh, side streets. Of It fits around the bends, yes. But that thing, you know, in real life, sounds just like, uh, like a go-kart engine, you know? And I'm like, how is it keeping up with that car? And then when it finally got to that last uh, part where it sputters and kind of blew up and like, oh, this thing isn't reliable. It's like, wait, that whole chase, it was reliable. But right here on these cobblestone <laughs> streets next to a step, all of yeah. a sudden now this is where it's having a hard time. Um, I, I enjoyed the chase stuff, the train stuff at the beginning, that stuff in the middle. That is Indiana Jones. That's what you're, you're, you're wanting. And for people who would say, oh, some of this stuff is kind of a trope or – or um, what you know whatever it's like a bit uh cornball or whatever this movie this franchise didn't create that stuff it was based on these old old movies from the 20s sure. 30s 40s 50s right but it was doing a service for it where it was amplifying that these adventures are fun you're going to enjoy this kind of stuff if if done right in in, in the right environment which indiana jones was because they weren't doing that in the 80s anymore it was all you know muscle guys and and uh big gun movies and stuff and you didn't have this kind of adventure thing now more than ever they're not doing that at all like people don't even remember younger people don't even know that existed to the at this point so when you're seeing some of these things and you go okay the joke about the map you know seeing like that that's a that's at least a hundred years old doing that in in movies but they brought that back you're seeing this thing here there's a submarine there's a the, you know the fishing boats all this stuff you're like this is what yes this is exactly what you wanted all the action sequences then there's a little pause uh the next act where you know 
people are moving, dialogue's happening, setting up for the next big action sequence. It had everything. <clears throat> the only thing I, I found difficult was dealing with, uh, what's her name, Helena? Phoebe Wallace? Yeah, uh, Helena. There are times where, all right, she's moving the story around and she's in the right place at the right time, but then there's times where it's like, shut up. Just yeah. shut up. <laughs> like when she's on the fishing boat and, and you've got Antonio Banderas there and that's like, let him talk. It's his boat. Let him get into the mix of this thing here. And she's telling Indy he's too old. She's doing this. And then we see later, there's a wink. She's trying to, you know, uh, set these people up. But it, it's just, there was too much of it. And I think that's always been sort of a problem with with these movies where maybe with the exception of Karen Allen, she wasn't trying to compete. She was mm. a love interest, but she was doing her own thing too. Kate Capshaw, we know, was terrible. Um, um, Kate Blanchett, it was the... Well, the, she might have been terrible in the... You know, Kate Capshaw might have been terrible in the movie, but uh, she got an Academy Award for uh, breaking up Steven Spielberg's marriage. So, you know, there, there are different levels of achievement, I suppose. <laughs> there is, wow. I <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm sidetracking. Back to the adventure stuff. So, yeah, I loved all yes. the adventure stuff. Wow, like you even got a bell. Oh, I, boy. Wow, that I is an old... Bell. That looks like the bell from Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Well... Uh, yeah, this uh, this bell uh, was a gift for Blackcast episode 100 from uh, one of our biggest fans, Matt and Casey, a oh. very beloved member of the family. And we are indeed at episode 549 now. So the bell still has some ding left in it. That's I don't nice. even Mine's know why Crane Zach Barrel. has a bell. <laughs> Mine's from Crane Barrel or Z Gallery oh. before it went out of business. So Wow. Nice. Anyway, sorry. Before the bell talk got in there, uh, yeah. And so you're, you're, you, I understand comparing sort of. It is a very different uh, female character. So uh, finish your thought. Right. On that, right. But the the the, uh, the action stuff. Um, I even thought the the sub, uh, not the submarine, um, the underwater sequences. Diving. Yeah. Even though it was like it's a little bit far fetched, but the way they were like, all right, what they're doing, they're, it's treasure hunting, it's underwater. It, all I was expecting was, you know, to have his shirt ripped off and put a knife in between his teeth. And then he's you know, fighting sharks with his hand to get down there to get to the treasure. We had eels this time because eels are snakes underwater. Mm -hmm. So it ties in with, the, you know, the whole history of, of his snake issue. That was um, funny, by the way, when that was I, funny. I agree. Yeah. yeah. When they yeah, made the, when he's much. like, don't say snakes, you know, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but it had all the action sequences were spot on for going back to the movies of, of those times. Like, yes, they would have done this at this time. Yes, it was the, the underwater breathing apparatus thing was was a stretch, but they needed to get them from here to there. So that was like probably the most tamest way to do it for the time period without the technology, all of that stuff. But I, I loved all the action stuff, boats blowing up, um, stuff underwater, train, yeah. you know, people on the train and fights and shooting and animals showing up out of nowhere. It had everything an Indiana Jones film was supposed to have. Well, I agree. It checks all the boxes for what you want from Indiana Jones, the, the thrills, the fun that you want from an action adventure film. And let me ask you, Zach, is there some direct to VHS I don't know, Michael Pere and Frank Stallone movie that I don't know about where there is like a big <laughs> underwater heist or something that uh, that uh, that you can think of. Well, when when Eric mentioned the knife in the mouth fighting a shark, I thought of that uh, the zombie film, Lucio Fulci zombie, where the zombie is fighting the shark underwater. It's an amazing awesome. sequence. That's really cool. Uh, <laughs> I love that I there was of, something. It just wasn't what I wasn't what I thought. But I love. And it. if you like underwater and zombies, check out Shockwaves from the eighty. If I it might actually be nineteen seventy early seventies, uh, but with Peter Cushing 
right be- uh, right around the time he did Star Wars. Uh, oh Shockwaves is really cool. Zombie zombie Nazis in the water. Um, but I but I agree with what you're saying, Eric. Like there are times when I'm watching these sequences and I'm going, oh, that's you know very far fetched. But you just got to give into it, right? You just got to like just let yourself go into it. I keep coming back to this idea that this film is a very uh, it's a nice film for kids and for like older people. I can like my uh, my whole family went to the movies. So my wife's parents who were in their late 70s, <clears throat> middle to late 70s. My my father-in-law, who I never talked to about anything, he's a big train aficionado. So he was like so excited to see the train sequence. And he was he falls asleep in movies because he's like 74, 75. He was awake the entire time. You know, along with my son who's sitting next to him, they're geeking out on all these sequences. And I think that's a cool thing that is sadly missing. You said that. I think you said that, Eric, that like we don't get this stuff anymore. We haven't seen these things, these these tropes that have been around for 100 years. But it it, it shows how uh, it shows how good they are when you reuse something that was done a hundred years ago and it still has the same effect. People still go, Whoa, instead of like, where's the lasers? Where's the dinosaur? You know, like that's cool and all, but it was refreshing to see like old school adventure style, style movies. Adventure. Yeah. yeah you don't adventure see that style. much anymore. Like treasure of the four crowns. <clears throat> right. And uh, also because you uh, mentioned it recently, we got to give a shout out to shockwaves. Uh, it is indeed starring Peter Cushing and John Carradine. So yes. uh, give a shout out there. Uh, and it's great. Uh, yeah, yeah. Once they were almost human uh, and uh how this, uh, who owns this intellectual property, uh, Zach? That's the real question. Because I mean, come wh- on. Why it happen. hasn't come back during the, the zombie craze is uh, beyond me. Beyond that me movie too. looks like it would would have been back in the days of uh, video rental stores. That movie looks like it would have been on the shelves under like Matt's picks or something like that. <laughs> One of the clerks <laughs> knew that movie and put that there because otherwise you never thought to look for that movie. Nope. Yeah, but then, but then you would know to trust Matt the next time you went in because, like, oh man, he definitely, uh, you know, he definitely made sure that uh, that I got to find out uh, a great uh, film there. And I know it's it's interesting because you know in this summer blockbuster season we had this movie and we also got a new Mission Impossible, and they're they're not similar in a lot of ways, but in the let's pack a lot of grow globe-trotting thrill a minute in there. And uh, I don't know if any of you have seen Dead Reckoning Part 1 yet, but I saw it earlier this week. Yeah. And it's like, it's very consistent. You know, it's it's like, it's the same in a good way as all the other ones. And it's like, yeah, we just have to raise the stakes. The, the big stunt in the commercial isn't even the craziest stunt that they pull off. So wow. uh, you're just like, That's oh, good. wow, okay. Yeah. That's great that they don't... Re- I hate when yeah. they reveal all that stuff in the trailers and then you go watch the movie and you go, Oh, that was the big, like I, yeah. the, one of the, the dumbest ones, but the more, the best example for this is I think it was like Terminator three that came out like a decade ago or something. Yeah. And you see on a bridge or a highway or something. And there's Arnold Schwarzenegger now fighting naked, younger Arnold Schwarzenegger, yes. it, just like a quick scene of it. And then you see the movie and you go, wait, that was part of the ending. Like, why did they put this in there? That should have been the surprise. So yeah. the fact that they yeah. didn't put whatever the big Tom Cruise stunt is in this movie anywhere in the trailer is already you want me. I want to go see it. 
Not that I didn't uh, want to, but but that's a no, great no, selling point. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, obviously, we should uh, shout out John Reese davies We got a visit from Salah. Uh, in the chat, Dominica Saxon says, I did miss seeing Kiwi Kwan in this movie, short round. They could, they should have bent over backwards to get him in. You know, if they went into production a year from now, maybe uh, the yeah. Antonio Banderas character or somebody is short round, you know. Yeah. Uh, but that's all right. I, I, I think that it's more the matter of the time that this was, that they didn't uh, feel the, the need to include him. And uh, I think... You know, Go ahead. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I didn't even step on you. Well, no, what I was going to say about uh, speaking of Antonio Banderas, you know, that scene, that Eric, you were talking about Phoebe Waller-Bridge is speaking so much in there. It's like, and again, we're talking spoilers. It's like, well, he's going to die. So, you know, maybe give him a little bit more time to talk. Yeah, right? I mean, but I did. I was kind of hoping that I sensed it, but I was like, don't kill him off. He's an interesting newer character, sure. a, another old friend of Indies that we're being introduced to. If you want to do spinoffs and stuff, I would have loved to seen all these old contacts that he had around the world somehow interacting with each other in, in a new series of movies like an Indiana Jones movie or in the franchise. And then it's whatever it is with, uh, you know, Jonathan Reese Davies showing up or maybe leading a group of other explorers into something like the Antonio Banderas character. I'm forgetting his name. I, I had the, the thing here. Uh, Ronaldo. When they brought Ronaldo in, I was like. This is interesting. He's kind of quirky. He's a, he's this weird Greek. It was Greek, right? Or Cyprus? Yes. Or, yeah. This weird Greek yes. guy coming in here. He's got attitude. He's he's a man's man kind of deal. He's very weathered. He knows the world. I'm like, he would have been great to see go off on some of these other adventures. And they just did what they did with him. And uh, I found that yeah. to be a bit disappointing. And yeah, she she didn't let him say any kind of last words before, <laughs> not, before not nearly uh, enough yeah no no not at all well as we begin the process of winding down our conversation i want to turn towards you know the third act the big reveal the dial of destiny and before i share my thoughts uh, I'll, I'll go with each of you and to see what you think uh phil give us your thoughts on you know as we're building towards seeing if we can make the dial of destiny work figuring out if we as an audience are going to see it work and then it works boy they sure end up in the wrong place so what do you think about that sequence phil i mean for me i thought the big sort of ending was going to be when uh, um you know they're kind of going through you know the caves and stuff like that and getting it right like i thought that's where things would culminate so what came after that as far as the plane sequence and there uh in many ways was mentally uncharted territory for me because i was like where's where's this headed um, I was, you know, um, and I don't think it's as clean as it could have been, but overall, um, you know, I, I, yeah, it, it's one of those things, like if you buy into kind of the absurdity of it or not, and there's always been a supernatural element to Indiana Jones anyway. Um, I think the big thing for me was the will Indy stay, won't he stay? And I thought like the fact that it hinged on an emotional aspect is what really made it work for me, less so than the action set piece element of it, I guess. Yeah, no, I think that uh, you, you had a, a lot of the, the same thoughts that I did and just sort of wondering, you know, is this thing gonna work? Are we gonna see it? Uh, what did you think, Zach? Well, I, I was 
By the way, that doesn't look like Pedro Pascal, uh, the the drawing of uh, Antonio Banderas in the poster. <laughs> it does, yeah, yeah. This like, is uh, this is the uh, the Asian one sheet, uh, but uh, I believe that this is the one for China. So for you're talking about down here, yes. Yeah. The I old mean, it looks like Pedro Pascal a little bit, a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I I I kind of agree with you, Phil. I thought that the final sequence of getting the other half of the dial was going to be, that was going to be it. Um, finding the tomb, you know, and I liked that sequence. I would have been okay with it kind of ending there with that sequence, not being the bigger payoff that you saw a few moments later. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of people who've kind of crapped on that final sequence, forget that there's always been a supernatural aspect of, Indiana Jones. It's always been a little wacky, a little wild. Uh, and, and, and I love that. I love the fantasy aspect of it. Um, I was a little let down a little bit because I'm like, well, it, it just, it, it felt like they handled it so quickly um, being in that world. And then suddenly they're out. Uh, I would have liked to have seen, I don't know, maybe a little bit more of that, uh, of, of the of the of his i don't know indie like actually being there living there for a moment and then you know um what's her name uh the the main actress helena. helena sorry helena coming back and and saying okay no we're done you know um i thought it was handled really well and and i like i liked that I did. I wanted to see more of a more of a dramatic death of the villains, and I, and I don't think you saw enough of that. I thought it was more. I would have liked to seen. I even said my son even said that he's like there was no face melting. I'm like I know it would have been kind of nice to see them <laughs> burning up in the plane and screaming yeah. because they deserve it's to true. die that way. Yeah, no, that's a that's like the one thing that uh, you know we're we're allowed to still root for the for the Nazis' uh, faces to melt. I think. And yeah. Uh, yeah, to your point, it, you know, Indy even says in this movie, and it's interestingly, it's a very Force Awakens Han Solo vibe of, you know, they're both really like, yeah, there's stuff that I can't explain. So it's like, I, I don't want to believe in, in weird stuff, but I've seen some weird stuff. Yeah. And I, I think that it's important to remind us that that, that you know, has happened. Uh, and you know, there's choices that they, there's a few different ways they could have presented the end of this movie, but, uh, you know, I think that what they went with mostly worked, but, uh, I'll, I'll share my thoughts on it a little bit, but I wanted to give Eric a chance to uh, say what he thought about sort of the culmination of the, the quest for the dial of destiny and then actually using it and, uh, seeing what happened next. Um, I did, it, there was, there's part of that movie that I thought about like days after, have seen uh having seen the movie and i was like man maybe i need to give this a second viewing uh, i haven't yet but a second viewing because there was something i wasn't quite sure on where they get the dial together they use it and they wind up in the um in the the time period of uh, archimedes was it not was it explained or was it already understood and i missed it that that dial they thought they were going to go somewhere else in time and it brought it back to Archimedes time. Like Archimedes time was the fixed point, the base point for using that device. Like you could start from here, go somewhere else, but then use it again and you come back. Like it's only a one way ticket in that 
way of using the well, dial? Well, I think that the, the explanation, I, you know, I hadn't thought of it that way, but I think in the moment, it seemed like they, they just said it wrong, you know, and so they didn't okay. go back to 1938, you know, uh, ready to you know, basically depose Hitler and, uh, you know, learn from his mistakes. But it is an interesting point that because, you know, they weren't off by a hundred years or, you know, six no, months. They, they brought it they, right back to a so, specific time where that so dial was supposed to be known. And, maybe and, that's and the question knew. where that's like, from whenever you open it, you just go back to that point. Maybe, uh, I don't know. The, Does, the do you have any thoughts on that, Phil? Yeah. So the explanation I heard, there's, um, Helena, um, you know, in one of the scenes, right, she's talking about how you think you're getting a choice, but she, she knows how to direct you in a certain way, right? So the dial, for whatever reason, like when Archimedes made it, like um, it already happened that they went back in time. And so he made it knowing that they would come back in time. And so like no matter how you adjusted it, it essentially would take you there. Now, as far as the logic of the rest of it, like in theory, sure, I guess you can you can like go through one of these fissures and end up somewhere else. But based on knowing this, you ended up back there like it was always going to happen. It's yeah. just one of those weird okay. things about like time travel in general. Like, can you really explain it properly without having a crap ton of plot holes? Probably not. But that's as close as I've heard <laughs> to explaining it. Well, it's that, like that using the beauty. Go ahead, Derek. I was saying it's like using a drone. You know, you can send it off and it goes out over the highway. And it, yeah. but as soon as the battery starts going low, it hits the automatic thing and it knows to come back to the point that it left from. Yeah, that. But that is uh, to what Phil was saying. That's the beauty of time travel is that the rules of it can be whatever you want it to be for your movie. I always use the example of Avengers Endgame, where like the fundamental rule of time travel has always been: don't interact with your past self. And in Avengers Endgame, uh, Nebula shoots an earlier version of herself dead, and right. she's still alive. <laughs> so it's yeah. like, all right, yeah. time travel. And uh, yeah, I guess time travel. Back to the Future was bullshit. Uh, but and uh, that's, can, that's the fun trope now, since Back to the Future. Anytime time travel from 85 up, if the movie is set in that time, 85 up, whenever they talk time travel, they always reference Back to the Future, which is viewed to be the most unrealistic or unobtainable right. version of time travel. Like it, it shouldn't work that way. But every time travel trope now references Back to the Future. It's like the wrong thing to, at the wrong time, but that's what everybody bases on. Even in Avengers, they mention Back to the Future, and you're like, you just laugh at them. Like oh, that's the that's the the fixed I mean, point now for time even, travel. Even in the Flash, they talk about Back to the Future. Right. Uh, but uh, I want to get to Zach's thought just uh, quickly in the chat. Uh, Eric Connor, who was uh, unable to uh, join us today, but uh, we appreciate him watching along. Uh, agreed. It was a homing beacon. Basically, they didn't accidentally arrive at the starting point. Okay. And, That's cool. yeah. uh, I thought I had, missed something. Yeah. I was hoping it'd make him jump into the bodega from regarding Henry. <laughs> so thank you for well, that, Eric. Second, uh, second that, regarding Henry reference that I didn't know we were going to get. Very nice. I mean, I was going to, that's kind of teeing up what I was about to say, sort of, because I, I, I thought it would have been funny if um, it put the dial together and it ends up being just a chintzy decoder ring, you know, that says like, drink be sure to drink team. your oval team for, <laughs> for the story. But then as they dispose of the Nazis and then suddenly it clicks and it works. And then yeah. they go into the world sans Nazis because they're all dead sans bad guys it's simply just good guys and it turns into that 80s tv show explorers 
uh, or sorry, Voyagers, Voyagers. If you guys have yeah. never seen that show where it was a guy I, I, and a kid. I, and going yeah, and, it was, a, you know, that would yeah, have been pretty were, rad. They were like running into George Washington and stuff. It was like a pre quantum leap, quantum leap, uh, Voyagers, which I hadn't thought about that show in a while. Um, yeah, it was Eric, sponsored uh, by the way, by like the American library association or something like that. Cause it encouraged course, kids to go read was books back then. Yeah. Oh, and I'm sorry, Eric, Eric has a great punctuation for what he said, which of course would be regarding Indy. That's amazing. So, well, you, Henry Eric. is his real name though. So yes, <laughs> nice, name. Phil. Yeah. Good observation. I won't do mine. Cause all right. Uh, uh, yeah. So uh, Eric, um, and then to finish uh, up I'll, with I'll, the, with the yeah. timepiece and all that. Um, I, I liked where they, they did go back there. I do think they gave him the wrong happy ending for the movie. Like they, they gave him a happy ending after you know all that his life's been and, and uh, reuniting with Marion and, and having them to deal with uh, the passing of their son and where their lives are and all that stuff. And then they gave him a happy ending for the movie. But I think the happier ending would have been, he wanted to stay in that time period. And Helena's like, you can't stay here. Like, this is where I started really hating her. I'm like, the guy <laughs> wants to be here. He spent his whole life living in the past. Let him die. Who gets to die in the past or in the, in the scenario that you fantasized about all your life, leave him there, let him do what he's going to do. Like I was expecting he stays there somewhere in the future. They do another archeological dig and they find something. And then in a museum, is like his hat and his whip or something like that. And that's how it goes out. Oh, like he's nice touch, that's pretty yeah. cool. I thought that would have been the happier ending than him well, getting the girl at the end. Well, I think that, uh, you know, you sort of bend reality far enough by having them go back there. The idea that he would live however long back there, and I guess he would have died. <laughs> so I guess it wouldn't have mattered. But yeah, I know what you're saying, that, that it's almost like that's what he wanted. But I think even he realized that, uh, you know, Happily ever after for both Harrison Ford and Bill Murray is uh, ending up with Karen Allen. And I think that's the important. He didn't realize she drugged him or he got knocked out or I forgot that's what it was. He uh, woke you know, up in bed in New York City. He's like, he, but eventually, he eventually like, he's happy. Is there. Imagine doing that to a female character. Right. And then well, all of a sudden she just wakes up, didn't have the choice to do whatever. And it's like, oh, I, I took you away from there. You're now back here again. I'm sitting there. I'm like, the guy didn't even have the choice. Like you didn't convince him. You didn't say, like, look, there's you're, you're missing so much. You really need to go back to the future and, and uh, you know, and, and live your life there. Um, they didn't. He got knocked out or dry. I forgot what it was, but then he woke up on the bed and he's like, well, I guess I'm not staying in the past. Now I'm back yeah, here in this shit hole. I'm back around. in New York. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I feel I'm, I'm fully aware that I know you have to go momentarily, but uh, I wanted to just make my, my final thought while the four of us were all together is that uh, I think that, yes, there is this mysticism, this otherworldly faction in these Indiana Jones movies. I, there's a part of me that would have liked it if the dial opened. We never actually saw where the Nazis went, but maybe they just came crashing back through it and died in the present. We don't know if it worked. I think the sequence works better for the story. There was a little part of me that was like, oh, I didn't want Indiana Jones to go back in time, actually, you know? <laughs> And, uh, you know, I, it was one of those things that it, it sat with me and I'm like, no, it's, it's fine. It's okay for the story. But in the moment I was like, oh, I didn't want him to end up back in the past, you know, yeah. but great sequence, fun to watch and, uh, interacting with Archimedes was, was fun. And, uh, that's why you have to learn ancient languages, kids, because you never know when you're going to end up in the time portal and, uh, get to talk to, uh, some of the greats. 
Uh, Phil, I'm going to uh, let you go first, but uh, thank you for your time. And please let people know where they can find you and uh, your podcast and other presence you have online. Sure. Um, I'm at Phil Svitek on pretty much every social media. And yeah, um, I have a podcast. It's called Phil Svitek Podcast. I try to just impart lessons um, in the creative business, you know, so if you want to be a writer, podcaster, you know, filmmaker, whatever, um, I try to pave the way through, through the lessons I've learned. Yeah. Er Eric and I both know a guy named Chad that we should probably send your way because he does not know how to podcast and also another fellow <laughs> named John, but this isn't the show for either of those conversations. Wow. And, uh, but what I realized in assembling the four of us together, no offense, uh, Zach, but uh, uh, Phil, Eric and I are going to have to uh, come up with something uh, South Park related the next time there's a there's a new batch of episodes or uh, Paramount Plus special. Uh, but uh, Phil, it is uh, always uh, wonderful uh, to uh, chat with you. Uh, thank you for your time. And uh, I uh, hope to uh, see you sometime soon. Likewise. Thanks, everyone. All nice right. to meet you, Phil. Thanks. Thanks for Phil and uh, Eric uh, chimes in again. Indy went full Bill, Bill and Ted's. I can't even get Bill and Ted's out of my mouth. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, I I think that I found the movie to be a lot of fun, and uh, you know it really is the trend right now that I guess people's idea of fun is like, oh, that new thing sucks. And yeah. when yeah. I saw people and and Zach, this was before I knew that uh, you rewatched crystal skull and we're like, yeah, it was kind of, it was, it was fun. People that were like, Oh boy, you thought crystal skull was bad. Where do you see this one? And I was like, all right, I, I don't think that's I was seeing comparison. articles. I was seeing, I think nerdist was the one leading this charge. I was right. seeing articles like a week or so before the premieres, even not even the release nationwide of, um, uh, dial of destiny negates the ending of crystal skull. And like, that was the, the, the headline all the time. You're like, who cares? It could rewrite Crystal Skull. Maybe it time travels back to the end of Crusade and ignores yeah. that whole thing. Who don't, cares what it did? Don't, don't tell the person that wrote that article to ever watch any of the Halloween movies after the first John Carpenter right. Halloween because they all negate right. each other. Yeah. And, you know, we'd be better off if none of it ever happened uh, afterwards. And uh, look, I, I think that, uh, yes, I carefully uh, curated the, the four of us to talk about this because I wanted to have the conversation about, like, I had fun with the movie. I enjoyed it. It's I did fine too. That people saw it and didn't. And of course, it's flawed. Uh, you know, very rare is the movie where you're like, wow, that was, that was pretty close to perfect. But uh, I thought it was a great way to close the book on Indiana Jones. And uh, it was a fun ride, you know, so... That's why I'm glad we were able to talk about it. Um, if, uh, but I think that uh, we appreciate everybody in the chat who joined us. And so, Zach, if uh, people want more uh, surprise '80s recommendations, uh, where can they find you and you, your show? You can find me at uh, two dollar latefeed.com, where we're calling the month of July July because we have Jill Sholin as our guest this month. Jill Sholin was in the Stepfather. She was in uh, the Phantom of the Opera, a, a slew of 80s movies. She's a great guest. Uh, she walked away from the business and she tells the whole story why. But she has been in a bunch of great movies from the 80s that I guarantee most people have not heard of. One of which is called Thunder Alley. It's uh, You can find it on YouTube for free. It's a canon rock musical about a kid, small form, farm town kid who's like a, an amazing guitarist and joins a band. Clancy Brown is in it, of course, uh, you know, Mr. Krabs and from Kurgan from uh, Highlander, 
et cetera, et cetera. Shawshank Redemption. Uh, Leaf Garrett is in it. It's got great songs. Wow. <laughs> uh, Jill Sholin's in that film. I highly recommend you check out Thunder Alley. And in another movie called That Was Then, This Is Now with Emilio Estevez and Craig Sheffer uh, and Kim Delaney from the 80s. It was the sequel to The Outsiders, but it's set in like 1985 when the movie came out. Emilio Estevez wrote the script. Very highly underrated, in my opinion. $2LateFee.com. $2LateFee.com. And uh, there's always uh, great things to uh, to find there. And uh, Thank Zachary, you. appreciate you taking the time to... Uh, Talk modern and old movies, and uh, I've I've got to come up with uh, with an angle for us to talk Hannibal Lecter because I would like to I'd like to talk about the three Hannibal Lecters. Well, actually, there's four because there was a Hannibal Rising movie with that actor who passed away uh, recently. That's right. Uh, yeah. Well, we will uh, we will definitely cover Manhunter on the show, uh, Michael Mann movie. If no one's ever seen Manhunter, it's got an amazing soundtrack, and it's. Michael Mann at his '80s Miami Vice best, in my opinion. You, 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 you've got the starting point of what I would want to talk about, which is indeed the soundtrack. Because some people feel like perhaps if that movie were re-edited with a modern soundtrack, it would uh, hold up better. But you're saying no, no, no. I, so I the whole that. point of the really quickly, the whole point of two dollar late fee is we take a movie and then we take a song from that movie, so we highlight the song, the soundtrack as well, and then we interview someone connected to that movie. So. Next month in August, here's a little bit of a tease. We're doing the movie Ruskies uh, with a young Joaquin Phoenix, a.k.a. Leaf Phoenix back in the day. And Peter Billings, Leaf from A Christmas Story. It's the second Christmas Story reference I made in a summer movie podcast. So um, <laughs> if you've never seen Ruskies, it's terrific. It's funny because it is definitely one of those movies that I remember the box. I do too. Story, I dev- I've never I seen the movie, it. but I remember the box seen for it. Yeah. Oh, you guys got to so watch it. Pure 80s. Absolutely. Great. And uh, Eric, it's Eric Nagel is uh, the show. And uh, let everybody know where else he can be found. Before I do that, I'm just going to let everybody know that I downloaded episode 97 of $2 Late Fee as they talk about Swedish supergroup Roxette. Must have been love and pretty woman. As soon as I saw that, I'm like, that is something I am interested and here, in. And here's the thing you got to know about Roxette they got the look anyway. Oh. They do. Thanks, Eric. By the way, really quickly, I didn't get a chance to say this. Great hanging out with you guys. And Phil was great too. So thank you for having me on and, and promoting oh $2 late fee and all that good stuff. But yeah, oh, please. great it's discussion with you guys. It's- yeah, it's, uh, we do our, our movie schedules hadn't really linked up at all this summer. We kept it, you know, we kept missing each other, but I was so glad we had both seen this one in time to do this show. So we made it happen. I, <laughs> I do what I can. So yes, Eric, uh, addition, uh, additionally, beyond your downloads. Uh, besides from that, uh, you can find me uh, it's ericnagel.com or it's Eric Nagel, I-T-S-E-R-I-K-N-A-G-E-L uh, on all the social media platforms. Our show's on uh, iHeartRadio, so you can listen to it there through their app, but uh, it's on demand everywhere else, Apple, Spotify. And the video versions are up on YouTube and on Twitch. We stream there, and I think we're adding a couple more platforms soon. We're working that out. Um for the live broadcast it's weird we do a live broadcast of the radio show that doesn't air till the next day and then it's it's a whole weird thing but it's everywhere that you want it to be or maybe not want it to be at least you don't uh follow that model of uh you do the live stream so that you can take super chats and then as soon as it's over you switch it to private so no one can watch it (laughs) 
Well, so. I, what you don't know is I'm already live sniping this show, and I'm doing Ooh. stuff my other show over here while we're doing this show over and, there. And you're joined by a puppet. To... You're joined by a puppet and an animated potato. Uh, you can find me, uh, of course, here on the Blackcast, B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T, the Don't YouTube diss channel. the potato. He gets served. I, I'm a, I, the potato's been on this show, and I know he's been on your show. We talked I'm about a big fan uh, of the Bert, potato. We talked talk about Burt Kreischer's The Machine, the potato and I, on the Blackcast <laughs> 545, if anybody wants to dig that one out. Uh, and uh, so, of course, uh, there's the audio version of Blackcast can be found uh, wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, video versions like this, you get to see fun things like images of Poochie, if you only listened. And uh, I'm on Twitter, Instagram. And regarding Henry. And regarding Henry, I'm right. on Twitter, Instagram, and Threads at Christian DMZ. Oh yeah, we're on uh, Threads too. Yeah, I forgot. See, yeah, you there know you that, go. I, that British uh, nuclear war movie, Threads. <clears throat> threads. Uh, and if uh, if you enjoy uh, lengthy, in-depth critiques, uh, you'll find me on the latest episode of the podcast called "Shitty Song of the Week." where I tackle something that Eric recently covered and I made sure to not watch your show uh, until after okay, I talked about the fallout boy sequel to we didn't start the fire. Uh, Shitty song of the week is a show that is apparently usually only half an hour. Uh, we did about 92 minutes uh, wow. because uh, I needed a lot of time. And uh, the, the spoiler is that it's paired up against a song that Danny Aiello wrote as an answer to Papa don't preach and as bad as that song is, this is so much worse. So uh, check that out over on Shitty Song of the Week. I'm checking uh, that out. And, yeah, uh, I want to. I want to check that out too and see where where we lie on our, our analysis of of the song. Yeah, well, I I, I sent the link to uh, someone who uh, said that they didn't think it was that bad, and I'm going to have to address that on a future episode of this podcast. Oh, but that's I've not what we're. I've been getting tons of comments from our video from from their fan base that don't fully understand what our critique was. They're like, "Why do you have to not like things?" It's like because that's the, the, that's what a critique is. You're giving right. your thoughts on why, what's good why and what's bad. Why do you bad. have to like everything? The first two words of it are Captain Planet, and I'm just going to leave it there <laughs> and leave all of you right there. Uh, that is all the time we have uh, for now, and uh, we'll see you. Uh, next time on the Blackcast for episode 550, I'll be back with Will Sterling, Jeff DeRay, uh, the whole gang. Uh, we've got a lot to catch up on, so we'll see you next time on the Blackcast. Thank you for listening to the Blackcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Bladcast. That's B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T. You can also subscribe to the audio version wherever podcasts are found. Like the Bladcast on Facebook, follow at Bladcast on Twitter and Instagram, and of course, the man responsible for what you just heard is on Twitter and Instagram at ChristianDMZ. I'm Farad Muhammad, and if you want me to voice your podcast intro, you can find me at Twitter and Instagram at F-A-R-D-M-U-H-A-M-M-A-D. We will see you next time on The Bladcast. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.